Hello, everyone. Welcome to Art and Rural Knowledge, the podcast. I am Adele. Today, I would like to start off by reading you a quote, something that I took from one of those Ray Mears uh, episodes. So if you don't know who Ray Mears is, he is an English woodsman kind of survival guy who has a series of TV shows that look at traditional methods of survival in the wilderness and it's a pretty fascinating show but in any case so in one of the episodes um, he has this guy on named John Lord and he is a flint napper and a flint napper is somebody who works with um, flint who works with uh, shaping stones into uh, tools so basically like the classic kind of arrowhead. And so he, in in the video, he's working on this arrowhead and he says, sometimes when you are working on a stone and you get a problem, these problems aren't new. These problems were there in the past. When you do get a problem, you concentrate 100% and forget all else. And just at that small point, you can actually sort of link minds with people from the past. So that quote, that him saying that really stuck with me. And so I wrote it down. I actually had to go back and find the clip on YouTube and write it down because it really articulated something for me about problem solving and the use of materials and that there is this history in making and in problem solving that is ingrained in our biology. And I think that when we engage in acts of, of trying to make things with our hands, we really engage that sense that we're connecting to something that is or has more depth than just our learned knowledge of the subject and materials. That there's something sort of bigger going on there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But a really good example of this For me, I mean, I think that I can relate this quote to a lot of the things that I would do in my art practice. I mean, I experience this feeling when drawing and painting. But for me, this feeling was very, very strong when I tanned my first hide. And this actually happened pretty recently. So today on the podcast, I thought I would tell you a story about tanning a bear hide. So back in September, my partner Adam was hunting. Pretty much when the fall hits, I lose him completely to hunting. We have been together for 11 years, so it is pretty standard practice at this point that he is occupied during the fall. He is busy. So now it was a Friday night the Friday night of Antigonite. And Antigonite is this art festival. It's a nighttime contemporary art festival that I'm involved with. Now, two years earlier, the very same night, the first night of Antigonite, also I had a project in, his brother Mike got a bear on our woodlot. 
And I don't know if superstition is true for all hunters, but I do think that the act of hunting, um, and this probably relates to uh, things like sports as well, it carries with it a predisposition for superstition. So certain routines, it could be specific dates, can play a role. I find this tremendously fascinating because I'm particularly interested in our natural propensity for superstition. I think that probably, you know, we all know better, um, but there are just these certain things that trigger superstitious belief in people. I don't know that everyone is hardwired for it, but it, it's not, but it's not, not a thing. (laughs) So it is the first night of this arts festival and I get a voicemail from Adam and he's got a bear down. All very exciting. And this is his first bear too. So normally he focuses on deer, but this year he really wanted to try for a bear. Uh, There was a lot of bear sign around and less deer sign this year. So he had been out bow hunting, but was pretty committed to bear hunting. Now, at this stage, when I'm listening to the voicemail, I am remembering my commitment that I made to tanning the hide. I said that if he got a bear, I really wanted to use as much of the animal as possible. And part of that was preserving the hide. The tricky part about this commitment for me was timeline. And really, this is something that I've discovered is really important to hunting. Well, and actually really important to anything that involves um, food, uh, preserving food, gathering food, growing food, hunting food. You have to be ready to deal with the situations that arise when they arise in a timely manner. Now, I was committed to having a project in this art festival, but now I've also got this significant thing that requires pretty immediate attention. So luckily we were blessed with cool weather that evening so I could safely start dealing with the hide in the morning. But I think I had to be back in town on Saturday to set up my project for 1 p.m. So I wake up crazy early and Adam hangs this heavy bloody, fleshy, furry monstrosity from a board between two trees and gives me a very sharp knife. I have to remove as much flesh and fat as I can. And really everything I read about this process is that this first step is very, very important, that you have to remove all of the fat and all of the flesh from the skin kind of as quickly as possible so that it doesn't go rancid or get blowflies on it before it's salted. So I spend three hours beginning at the top of the hide and working my way down, carefully slicing away without cutting into the hide. And this is really tricky too, because this knife is incredibly sharp. So I'm trying to get in between this fat and flesh uh, and the hide without cutting into the hide and without cutting myself, but it was, you know, you start to get into this repetitive action. And I started to feel something kind of familiar. Maybe it was just a sense of flow, something that we're 
all kind of used to when you're working on something that's difficult or something that's repetitive or something that takes a lot of physical exertion. But I truly felt that there was something in this action. And it was the full experience too. It was the smell in the feel of the hide. And it felt familiar and so rewarding. And I know it sounds a little silly and maybe gross, but it felt very important and purposeful and it was tremendously hard. And my shoulders and hands were cramping, but it was also really thrilling. So after I cut away as much as I could, we nailed and stretched out the hide on the shed floor. And I spent another hour fleshing out the hide with a hide scraper. Now, a hide scraper is this oval loop-shaped blade on a wooden handle that is made specifically for this task. We had borrowed this particular tool from Adam's father, who used to do muskrat pelts uh, a long time ago. Um, So everything at this stage gets particularly soupy. Most of the flesh and fat is actually off of the hide, but bears are incredibly greasy. And this tool just is like pulverizing the fat and you're working really fast. So it's almost melting it and it's literally everywhere. Slipping is a real hazard at this point. So after an hour of this, I am done. Not only do I need to get my project set up, but I am exhausted. I have to shower. I'm literally like covered head to toe in bare fat. So Adam took over uh, from there and he scraped the hide for another hour after that. I grabbed all my gear, which was basically a carload full of an art installation, and I took off and got set up in town. And Adam went in and picked up salt and got the hide completely covered. Now, you cover the hide in salt pound for pound. So roughly the the weight of the hide is how much salt you cover it with. My understanding is that the salt does a couple things. It's going to draw out the moisture. It's going to dry up the residual fat. It is going to start preserving the hide. I feel like it essentially pickles it. Um, And this is why you want to make sure you get everything off that you can before salting. Because you don't want to lock anything in that could go rancid or could attract bugs. Very, very important. So we salted the hide for three days and everything about this project was in increments of threes for some reason. I don't know if that is how we were supposed to do it. I'm not sure if it was how we intended to do it, but it just kind of ended up that way. Now, meanwhile, it is Adam's task to figure out how to get the brains out of the skull so that we can use them for tanning. We also didn't want to destroy the skull. We wanted to keep it. So he had figured out that he would take the bottom jaw off and get to the brains from inside or from underneath. Fun fact, (laughs) every animal, except for maybe a whale or something, has enough tannins in its brain to tan its own hide. Now, how amazing is that? And also, 
How was that even discovered? I want to know. I feel like everyone I have talked to about this, that's the question that they want to know. Who was the first person to figure this out? Because that is incredible. Nature is truly so equally magical and disgusting. Okay, so this is taking a little longer to tell than I had anticipated today, but that's okay. We're going to come back next week and I'm going to finish the story and the process of tanning a hide Adele style. So today we covered fleshing out. So this is getting all the flesh and fat from the hide. We stretched the hide and then scraped it and then we salted it. The salt is left for three days and careful attention is paid the whole time to keeping blowflies away from the hide. This is why the hide should be dealt with very quickly because basically you don't want any kind of rotting process to happen. Where did I get all of this weird information about natural tanning? Mostly the internet. I watched some YouTube videos and found a bunch of websites on natural tanning. I will post the ones that I found most useful if I can find them again. Really, almost all of the things I read and watched had different steps or timelines. So I basically tried all of the things that were consistent between the majority of what I researched and then hope for the best. (laughs) All right. Well, please join me next week where I go through washing, drying, scraping, tanning, more scraping, breaking, and then smoking. And trust me when I say, every step of this took a lot of faith. When you put a stupid amount of manpower into something and you know there is a pretty good chance it isn't going to work, you have to find joy in the process and be dedicated to the experiment. And this is essentially a fundamental for me in art making. So get out there and try something that feels impossible this week. It might truly be impossible, but the act of trying, the act of problem solving, is what connects us to something greater than the finished product.